worship an awesome God in the blue states. The, the president's uh, problem is that he was born a Muslim. Not God bless America, God damn America. My Christian faith then has been a sustaining force for me over these last few years. Marriage itself is now being redefined and at a very incredible velocity. President Obama made it very clear that he wanted to be the abortion president. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Welcome to the history of evangelicals and politics, the Obama era. This is episode 28, how Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ fueled the culture wars. I'm John Fia. As we saw in our last episode, Evangelicals loved Mel Gibson's blockbuster 2004 film, The Passion of the Christ, because it provided an opportunity to spread the gospel. Churches and other evangelical organizations published and distributed resources to help believers use the film as a tool of evangelism. I remember sitting in a Pennsylvania megachurch in 2004 and witnessing what seemed like every other sermon ending with a clip from the movie broadcast on the big screens at the front of the sanctuary and listening to an emotion-filled pastor reminding the audience what God had done for them by dying on the cross. But to quote one writer, the evangelical enthusiasm for the film, the Anti-Defamation League's accusation of anti-Semitism, the scholarly critiques of the movie's portrayal of the Gospels, and Gibson's accounts of supernatural visitations during filming did not happen in a vacuum. In 2004, the United States was in the midst of an escalating election year culture war over whether the country was a Christian nation or a secular one. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Perhaps the conservative Catholic journalist and self-proclaimed culture warrior Pat Buchanan explained it best. In a piece at the American Conservative, he called the release of the Passion of the Christ an ecumenical moment. The film was obviously Catholic in its replication of the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary, the stations of the cross, the emphasis on the last seven words of Christ, and the allusions to the Eucharist and the war between Satan and the mother of God. But this did not deter evangelicals from fully embracing it. As Buchanan put it, for once Christians have come together, not to denounce some blasphemous filth funded by the National Endowment of the Arts, 
but in celebration and praise of an inspired work of art. Buchanan believed the film was yet another battleground in the war for Christianity and civilization. Western culture was under attack. Conservative Catholics and evangelicals were the victims. But this was no time to give up the fight. There was too much at stake. Not since D.W. Griffith portrayed the Klan as heroic defenders of white womanhood in The Birth of a Nation, Buchanan wrote, has a movie been so reviled. Buchanan had some choice words for his fellow conservative commentator, Charles Krauthammer of the Washington Post. Krauthammer was among those who criticized the film for its suggestion that the Jews were to blame for crucifying Christ. What did the crucifixion give mankind, Buchanan railed? Salvation, the opening of the gates of heaven, Western civilization, the great art, architecture, music, painting, sculpture, cathedrals and churches in history. The idea that all men are children of God and that each has an innate worth and dignity, which puts limits on the power of any state and an end to slavery. No cross, no Christianity, he added. Where does Krauthammer think our civilization and culture came from? Buchanan concluded his piece by asking, why do they hate the passion of the Christ? And he answered with a quote from his culture war speech. This was the speech he delivered at the 1992 Republican National Convention in the Houston Astrodome. He said in that speech, there is a religious war going on in our country for the soul of America. It is a cultural war, as critical to the kind of nation we will one day be, as was the Cold War itself. He then added, those who hate the passion of the Christ are almost all on the other side of that war. They hate the movie and the messenger, and as they admit, the central story of the Gospels the crucifix of Christ. Why? Because if the passion is true to the gospels and the gospels are themselves true, then there is a painful truth to be faced. It is found in John 1.11, inside the last gospel of the Tridentine mass Mel Gibson attends. Quote, he came unto his own and his own received him not, unquote. Admittedly, Buchanan concluded. That is a hard message to hear. James Dobson, Tony Perkins, Jerry Falwell, or Gary Bauer could not have put it any better. This idea of conservative victimhood in response to the passion of the Christ is best described by writer Leslie E. Smith. The representation in the film of the innocent victim kindles battle imagery very familiar to most evangelicals, who often see themselves as engaged in a struggle with a postmodern culture that not only counterattacks, but moreover, denied their very legitimacy. Thus, Smith adds, evangelicals see in the suffering Jesus a mirror of what they believe is their own persecution. The Passion of the Christ allowed the Christian right to engage in a proven battle tactic, criticize Hollywood. 
a former missionary from Colorado Springs, talked about being under attack by Hollywood, whose movies undermine family values and portray Christians as bigots and fools. He wondered whether the film's critics were attacking Christians or attacking Christ. Ray Logan, a retired Christian radio station owner in Rochester, Minnesota, was looking forward to seeing The Passion of the Christ with his wife. Though they did not usually support Hollywood with their money due to increasing sex and profanity in its entertainment products. The Passion of the Christ was one of the few movies they were willing to attend. Albert Moeller of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary said that Mel Gibson must be doing something right because he has Hollywood in an absolute uproar. The fact that there were prominent Jews who worked as executives in the film industry was a fact that was not lost on those who believed the passion was anti-Semitic. James Dobson of Focus on the Family certainly saw the passion of the Christ as a tool of evangelism, but he seemed much more excited about the way the film might give evangelicals an edge up in the culture wars. For years, Dobson wrote, Hollywood executives have justified their constant barrage of sex and debauchery-soaked movies by saying, we're only releasing what the public wants to see. Many movie industry executives, he added, refuse to admit that there is a viable audience for stories and characters that extol biblical virtues. The passion of the Christ presents us with a powerful opportunity to prove them wrong. Dobson encouraged his followers to go to theaters on opening weekend. If a film fails to draw strong numbers during its first few days of release, he explained, it is generally considered a flop. Therefore, Dobson said, I want to encourage you to consider seeing the passion of the Christ either on its opening day or soon thereafter. They could even buy tickets at the Focus on the Family website. A large outpouring of evangelical attendees between February 26th and 29th would send a message to Hollywood to change its typical diet of blasphemy and obscenity. If the box office was any indication, the Christian right won this round of the culture wars. As Catholic commentator Paul Thigpen put it, the passion gave a voice to countless everyday people from all walks of life who embraced the film, its director, and its themes of sacrifice, forgiveness, and hope. Thigpen expected Hollywood to respond to the loss by searching for more potentially lucrative projects appealing to the unwashed religious peasants whose existence they had previously doubted or spurned. Here again was the sense of victimhood which could be easily translated into a form of populist politics directed at the scholars, power brokers, Hollywood moguls, and other elite critics of Gibson and his movie. Until now, Thigpen argued, Hollywood executives were largely talking among themselves, ignored by the unenlightened traditional masses they still so deeply disdained. If these academics and filmmakers were as smart as they think they are, they should have lost any illusions they may have cherished that they are the noble gatekeepers of our culture. Once again, Thigpen added, 
those among the self-appointed cultural elites who seek to marginalize and dismiss people of traditional faith have succeeded on this. They have demonstrated that they themselves stand on the ragged, threadbare margins of our culture, whining that they should make the rules and impotently stamping their feet. The Passion of the Christ empowered these Christian populists with what Thigpen called a renewed vision of the heavens above us, filled with glory, grace, and hope. The silent majority had spoken and had made Mel Gibson and his studio millionaires many times over. But the success of the Passion of the Christ also proved to be an effective weapon in an election year. The 2004 presidential election was already shaping up to be a battle between the Christian right politics of George W. Bush and the secular politics of Massachusetts Senator John Kerry. The attacks on Gibson's movie proved useful to Christian right voters concerned about the decline of family values in the media, the prevalence of abortion, and as we have seen in previous episodes, the threat to traditional marriage. If the message of the passion could permeate the culture, America would no longer be hanging off a moral cliff. And George W. Bush was the man to help promote such a vision. The conservative Washington Times noted that Bush's reelection campaign was getting a boost from powerful Christian groups, which are enlisting entertainers such as Jim Caviezel. You may recall that he was the actor who portrayed Jesus in The Passion to cajole millions of evangelicals into voting. According to a source in the Kerry campaign, Bush political advisor Karl Rove planned on turning the election into one between those who went to see the passion of the Christ and those that did not. Deal Hudson, the editor of the Catholic Crisis magazine and a close ally of Rove, said the movie had the potential of solidifying evangelical Christians and conservative Catholics around the notion that something they think is valuable can prevail against the mainstream media, especially the New York Times, which tried to destroy the movie before it had even opened. Writing in March 2004, Hudson said that if the passion has legs, the Democrats are in trouble. Their worst fear is that mass attending Catholics and evangelical Protestants will get together. Ira Foreman of the National Jewish Democratic Council agreed. If Bush promoted the film, he said, it might have an effect comparable to or less than his backing of a constitutional amendment to ban same-sex marriage. The Passion of the Christ certainly played into Bush's narrative of a global struggle between good and evil. Sociologist Mark Juergensmeyer put it this way, the movie's protagonists present such a stark image of evil. It is one clear and unchallenged as President George W. Bush's characterization of terrorists following September 11th. Indeed, the forces who killed Jesus, whether Satan, the Jews, or Pontius Pilate, might as well have been included in Bush's axis of evil the phrase Bush used in his 2002 State of the Union address to describe Iran, Iraq, North Korea, and other nations and groups who are threatening the freedom and liberty of God-loving Americans.
The History of Evangelicals and Politics is produced by Casey Lehman. It is a podcast for patrons of Current, an online platform that includes daily commentary, reflection, and judgment from diverse and talented writers representing positions across the political spectrum. Current also hosts The Way of Improvement Leads Home, a blog dedicated to reflections on American history, politics, religion, and academic life. This podcast is made possible by our patrons. Please consider supporting us by heading over to currentpub.com and clicking the red support.